Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. First of 2024. We made it. We made it. little touchy there at the end, I think, uh, but we made it. Here we are, ready to kick off the new year. Going to be, well, let's hope it's a good one. My name is Robert Winfrey and I am your host. Uh, really nice to be back. Really nice to be back. Um, new headset, new microphone, so hopefully, uh, occasionally, I know there were some tech issues. Uh, hopefully this smooths that out, makes it a bit more consistent. Um, if not, well, things get more complicated, but uh, hopefully this hopefully this helps. Maybe you can't tell the difference. I don't know. Um, but feel free to let me know in the comment section if you like this, if you don't. All right. On the agenda, we're going to preview the first UFC event of 2024. It'll be UFC on ESPN Plus 92 coming your way Saturday the 8th. 8th? 7th. Uh, I must check now. 13th. What the heck am I thinking? 13th. Wow, I am off. <clears throat> Been a little bit. Bear with me. Saturday the 13th. UFC on ESPN plus 92. It's uh, it's an okay fight night card. I'm going with okay. Uh, we're going to take a look back at... Oh, related to that. I did promise you guys that I would be keeping track of my predictions for 2024 because I predict every fight on every UFC card at least. So we will be... I'll be, I'll be doing that. I've got a spreadsheet up and I'll be tracking this stuff and yeah we're gonna see how i do maybe good maybe bad um <laughs> we'll find out my hunch is i'll be right around my hunch right around the 500 mark uh whether or not i'm better or worse than flipping a coin well that remains to be seen uh so we'll but we will get into previewing i want to have a brief look at by the time this goes up i think my 2023 year-end awards will be published on 411 mania um, if not, I'll at least go over the winners here. I would encourage you to go over there, check that out, give it a full read, full breakdown, all that good stuff. Um, but bare minimum, I'll talk a little bit here about my categories and whatnot. Uh, then a couple of pieces of news. Nothing major, but a couple of smaller pieces, uh, that are going to be worth talking about. Well, one sort of major, but only sort of. And, yeah, that's, that's the preview, so... Uh, I think that's everything over here. So let's uh, let's get into this, shall we? See if I can still uh, still remember how this goes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not too worried about it. UFC on ESPN plus 92. Uh, main event: light heavyweight Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker. If you'll recall, these two fought not that long ago. There was a foul. Ankalaev kneed Johnny Walker in the head while he was downed. Walker wanted to continue, bit of a language barrier, plus the doctor not liking what he saw, waved it off, got a no contest, both these guys got heated afterwards. We rebooked it here, now it's five rounds instead of three. Um, I Fairly easy pick. From a pick standpoint, I picked Uncle Live the first time. I'm not discounting Johnny Walker, he's dangerous and he's wild. This is just a bad style matchup for him. And if Ankalaev could ever sort himself out, that man could potentially be champion. He's got a lot of the tools. But he's struggled to implement them. He still struggles with dealing with calf kicks. Walker had a had some success with that. A lot of guys have against him. The wrestling's really the problem for Walker because Ankalaev will wrestle you to death if you give him half a chance. And I kind of expect... Uh, Uncle, I have to pull the, to do that, pull this one out. It was going his way before the weirdness that ended their first fight anyway. Could be wrong. I, I'm not, this is, when I say it's a relatively easy pick, that doesn't mean that I think Walker has very low chance to win. I, I don't know what the actual odds here. I never asked you guys. I started doing this a little bit. Um, do you mind if I read off the odds? Do you not like that? Um, yeah, the official odds have Ankalaev at like minus 450. 
depending on where you look exactly. Uh, minus 450 to minus 520, so a heavy, heavy favorite. That seems a bit much for my... T like, I, I understand odds are not just a reflection of who you think will win the fight. It's also a reflection of money being placed and all that fun stuff. Honestly, though, if I'm getting Johnny Walker at, like, plus 350, I don't gamble. But I don't think that accurately represents his chances of winning. I think they're better than that. I still have him as the dog, but I think they're better than that. So, anyway, going with Ankalaev. Not a bad main event to kick off the, the year. I mean, it's not the fight that's kicking off the year. We'll get to that when we get all the way down to the bottom. But not a bad main event. For a fight night, perfectly acceptable. Hopefully the fight is not weird, but weirdness seems to follow these two guys, and then when they get together, it's just magnified. So Hopefully no weirdness. Or maybe you do want the weirdness. I don't know. Whatever floats your boat there. Uh, flyweight, co-main event, Matthews Nicolau and Manel Kopp. Uh, these two fought to a split decision back in like 18, I think. It was 2018. Um, Nicolau won a split decision. I think I scored it for him. Kopp was pissed. He always is when he loses a decision, even if it's clear. Um, in the interim, Manel Kopp has gained in prominence. Whereas Nikolaou seems to have been a little bit forgotten. Um, which is kind of a shame, because Nikolaou is pretty good. Um, his only losses in the UFC are to Dustin Ortiz and Brandon Royval. Uh, the Ortiz loss was back in 2015. Oh, was the cop fight in 20... Yeah, the cop fight was 21, sorry. Um, my mistake. Where did I misread that so badly? Eh, I'll fix it later. Um... But Ortiz was pretty darn good in 2018, and Royville just fought for the belt. Now, I get that getting finished is not great, but he's got a win over Tim Elliott. He beat David Dvorak. This guy's good. Uh, he just... Yeah, the Royville loss hurts, and he's not a very big personality. Cop is a big personality, and Cop's on a good streak. He's won four in a row, three of those finishes. Had, spoiler for our discussion later, the worst luck of maybe anyone in 2023 that I could find. Um, coming off a win over Felipe Dos Santos, which wound up being a life-or-death fight. That you know, he took that on, uh, Dos Santos took that on short notice. It was, Cobb had like three different, he was supposed to fight Alex Perez at the start of the year. That fell apart on fight day when Perez had a seizure backstage. Get scheduled to then fight Davis and Figueredo. Figueredo was still doing, eh, maybe I can have one more run at flyweight. And then a little bit out from the fight, he was like, no, I can't make weight. Sorry for wasting your time. Then he got booked to fight, then uh, Cobb got booked to fight Kai Carter France in Australia. It's going to be another big fight. And then a few weeks out, Kai Carter France suffers a concussion, not advisable to be fighting by to train and then fight on the timetable it was necessary so they bring in felipe dos santos and cop is pissed the whole way through and he does get the win does drop some slurs i almost wonder if we need another category for this um look i've said this before like i don't use the uh, homosexual slur that starts with an f in conversation but my relationship with it is not what it is with like, some serious racial slurs. That might change down the line, but that's not my relationship with it. So I, again, I do kind of wonder if maybe there's not a... I don't know. Maybe if there's not another categorization we need to use for that. But uh, it might just be me too, so who knows. Neither here nor there. Doesn't matter. Um, cop trying to get towards the title. Uh, getting a rematch here. I like Cop's chances. I'm not sleeping on Nicolau at all. I do. I think he won their first fight. But Cop seems to have found his footing in the UFC since then. And Nicolau, still good. I expect him to turn in a good performance. But going with Cop. Uh, Cop is your favorite. A little bit heavy for my taste. He's minus 240-ish. 
Like minus two and a half. Dude, if you can get plus 200 on Nikolau to repeat, basically. Again, I don't give gambling advice. Occasionally, I might say, you know, I don't know how if that's the most accurate representation or, you know, sometimes those odds look juicy. Um, that might be a decent enough little value bet on, on the upset there. Uh, right, moving on. I think we have... Uh, let's see. Sorry. Wrong. Wrong list. Yeah, next up, lightweight Jim Miller and Gabriel Benitez. You guys know me at this point. I, I'm i kind of a homer for Jim Miller. I have nothing but admiration for that man's career. My annoyance with this fight is that it might put in jeopardy Jim Miller being on UFC 300, which I really want for him because he really wants it. This is a tough fight, too. Gabriel Benitez, Mowgli, is no slouch. Um, Benitez, he, he's been a little bit up and down lately. Uh, he's just two and four in his last six. Wins over Justin James and Charlie Ontiveros. I don't even think he's in the UFC anymore. Losses to David Onama, Billy Quarantillo. He tried his hand at featherweight for a little bit there. Omar Morales, Sadiq Youssef. So these losses span featherweight and lightweight. Um, he's back at lightweight. Going with Miller. This is more emotional than logical. Not that I don't think you can make a logical case for him. I, that strikes me as very reasonable. Um, but going with Miller, I think the odds are the odds are like a pick em on this one, basically, which seems fair. Um, look, Jim Miller is not a world beater anymore. He is not going to make a run for the belt. But I, I do think he might have something for Benitez here. So going with Jim Miller... But, you know, I just pick Jim Miller all the time at this point. It's probably boring. <laughs> that, it's an emotional thing for me. I, I make no apologies for it. Uh, Bantamweight next. Interesting one here. We have Ricky Simone and Mario Bautista. Um, Bautista on a pretty good run. Only UFC losses are to Corey Sandhagen and Trevin Jones. What, five-fight winning streak? Yeah, wins over... Jay Perrin, Brian Kelleher, Benito Lopez, aforementioned, uh, Guido Canetti, Damon Blackshear. He's on a pretty good run. Um, Simone represents a step up in class for him. Uh, Simone last year had a five-fight winning streak snapped by Song Yudong. Not too surprised there to see Song score a TKO win because Song is, hits hard and is pretty darn good. Um, Simone... Kind of weird UFC career, man. He had a good, he in, came into the UFC, choked out Marab Dwalish really, beat Montel Jackson, beat Ronnie Yaya, and then in less than a minute got TKO'd by Uriah Faber. <laughs> Followed that up by losing to Rob Font, and the bloom was pretty much off the rose at that point. He rebounded, I mentioned the, uh, the, current, the winning streak he had before fighting Song. Ray Borg, I kind of thought he lost that fight. Gaetano Perello, Brian Kelleher, Rafael Asensio, and Jack Shore. Sure, when in particular was quite good. Austin Sal's pretty washed when they fought, so I don't know how highly I rate that. Um, but yeah, this is a step up for Bautista, who has not... Simone's fought. He's been ranked in the past. Um, he's a hard-charging, come-forward guy. Pretty good power, good wrestling, solid motor. Um, Bautista's got a lot of uh, submission credentials. That's been a problem for Simone in the past. I think I'm going to lean towards Bautista. My first underdog pick of the year, according to the odds. The odds, uh, again, they, they're not huge, but they're, they lean towards Simone. That's understandable. I think I'm going to still rock with Bautista. Um, yeah, could be very wrong, but uh, that's where I'm going. All right, next up, middleweight. It's uh, I think this kicks off the main card. Um, Phil Hawes, uh, poor guy, came into the UFC one three in a row. Um, not sure I agreed with him beating Nasruddin Imavov, but the others were. Then Chris Curtis knocks him out. He beats the crap out of Duran Wynn, who probably uh, uh, beat Duran Wynn out of the UFC basically. Then gets knocked out by Roman Delitz after his knee gets torn to pieces. Then Ikram Alaskarov knocks him out. He's on a rough patch here. 
But he's fighting uh, the Hulk, Bruno Ferreira. Hawes, he's got ability, man. But if you can kind of grit through what he offers, this is a tough one. Because this is kind of going to go... My hunch is this goes pretty solidly one way or the other. I kind of see this playing a little bit like um, when he fought Alaskarov, where you saw a lot of pretty good stuff out of Hawes, but he couldn't sustain it. And Bruno Ferreira... Hawes could easily take... This is a very close fight. It's a tough pick. I just don't know about Hawes' durability. Like, when real opposition is applied to him, he kind of... I don't want to say he completely folds, because that's unfair, but... He struggles with that, and Ferreira persevered through a pretty decent beating uh, Gregory Rodriguez, RoboCop, was putting on him. He's got power. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Ferreira. Um, not by a lot. That's a, that's a tough fight, but Hawes just... Opposition seems to be... Uh, resistance seems to be a problem for him, and I think Fajardo will give it to him. Uh, on the prelims, at heavyweight, Andre Arlovsky and Waldo Cortez Acosta. Oh, man. Look, the odds are heavily in favor of Cortez Acosta. I understand why. He is a guy the UFC likes. He's got some power. He's got fast hands. He's been out-wrestled before, but Arlovsky's not much of a takedown artist. Here's the thing, man. Arlovsky still just, like, grinds guys down to fight his fight at his pace. And even at 44, he struggled the last couple of times out. This might be... Some of us have sung the death song of Andre Arlovsky in the past. Dude, I tried to write him off... How many times have I tried? I, try, I was one of the guys writing him off, like, a decade ago when he got stopped four t three times... In four fights, he lost four in a row, and three of them by pretty bad stoppage in 2011. He rebounded, made a lot of us look foolish, had another four-fight losing streak in the UFC. I mean, in fairness, Stipe Miocic, Alistair Overeem, Josh Barnett, Andre Arlovsky. Sorry, is that five? Yeah, five. Those four, understandable. Especially, this is like 16 and 17. So, <laughs> you know... He loses to Marcin Tabor. That was rough. Wins a couple. Goes on another four-fight losing streak. Two of those split decisions. Um, one of those he could have won. I think the Harris fight I thought he could have won. Um, but, dude, he just lingers. He's just been sticking around, grinding things out. And considering he gets paid, like, 250 grand a fight, um, he's happy to take fights like this all day long. Uh, it's a pretty decent step up for... I shouldn't say step up. Name value-wise, it's a step up for Cortez Acosta. Uh, let me look at old Waldo here real fast. Uh, Ten and one. Yeah, the one loss in the UFC was uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Um, he beat uh, Lucas Breschke his last time out. I I don't. That was a get well. I'm. You know what? Screw it. I'm going with Arlovsky. I might be very wrong. It might be actual t actually time that Arlovsky is kind of shot and done. And fair enough, he's had a great career. He might have hit the end of it. I just... You need savvy when you're fighting Arlovsky at this point. And I don't know how much savvy Cortez Acosta has. Might be very wrong. Like The, the odds makers are very heavily in favor of Cortez Acosta, but... I don't know. This is the kind of fight that Arlovsky grinds down a little bit, unless he's really shot. And he might be. He 44. How many fights does he have? So 44 is old, even at heavyweight. A little bit old. He's got 58 fights. And he's been fighting since 1999. He might, here's the memory serves. He's the only guy on the UFC roster that has a professional fight pre-9-11. It used to be like him and Robbie Lawler, and then Lawler retired last year. Um, so I I take my hat off to that man's longevity, but this is kind of going to tell us if he is really shot. But 
I'm rocking with him one more time, if nothing else. We'll see what happens. Welterweight's up next. Matthew Semmelsberger and Preston Parsons. Semmelsberger, interesting guy, uh, career-wise. Like it's been up and down in the UFC. He's what three and sorry, he is five and four in the promotion. Two-fight losing streak at the moment. Uh, the split decision loss to Jeremiah Wells. He cost himself that. There was an argument he could have won it. Um, he made some poor decisions that cost himself that fight, though. Um, not a lot of urgency getting up. Then he and Uros Medic had kind of a slugfest before he got stopped in the third round. That was fun. Um, Parsons. One of these guys the UFC likes, right? He's 10-4. and four. No, I might be misremembering. He's 1-2 and two in the UFC. Lost to Daniel Rodriguez and Trevin Giles. He has a win over Evan Elder between those two. Um, he was supposed to fight Basil Hafez here. Hafez wound up bowing out. Now it's Semmelsberger. Uh, I'm okay going Semmelsberger here. He's He's got some power. I'm, I'm not going to completely discount Parsons, but I'm okay going Semmelsberger here. Far am I off on the outside? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm kind of in line with that. Uh, let's see. Bantamweight. Marcus McGee and Gaston Bolna, uh, Bolna, Bolanos. Bolanos? Where's this gentleman from? Um, Bolanos. He is Peruvian. Seven and three. Nickname of the Dream Killer. I approve. Um, 1-0 and in the UFC, beat Aaron Phillips in his UFC debut last year. 6-3 um, and th- and six and in Bellator. That's respectable. We lose two. Um, 2017. Yeah, that's yeah, the second professional fight. I'm not going to hold that too much against him. Uh, then in like 1920, yeah, dang, okay. We abandoned, uh... He's had a, for a guy who's been doing this since 18, I don't know. I I do feel pretty pretty fine going with McGee here. Uh, McGee kind of made me a believer, his UFC debut. I picked against him when he fought uh, Journey Newsom because he did it on short notice. Um, But he dealt with that. Uh, dealt with J.P. Bay's fight after that. Um, I'm I'm kind of a believer in Maniac McGee here, <laughs> so I'm I'm rock I'm going with him. Uh, the actual odds are they with me? Do they have the odds for this one? Yes, they do. Yeah, the odds are with McGee. Um. Mm. Thought those might be heavier in his favor. Not that I'd set them there. I'm just kind of surprised they're where they are. Uh, let's see. Bantamweight. Pretty decent fight here, actually. We have Fadid Basharat and Taylor Lapalus. So, Basharat, 11-0, undefeated. 2-0 in the UFC. Wins over Damon Blackshear and Clegison Rodriguez. Um, he looks to be pretty darn good. And Lapalus has started coming on. Um, he's not lot. He had a good UFC debut when he beat that guy whose name I can't pronounce. He's Irish, and I, I heard it pronounced, and I apologize. I don't remember. But um, yeah, Carolyn Lochran, who came out and just like pissed off the entire country of France. Um, Laplace, pretty dude, 19 and three overall. Had a previous run in the UFC where he went two. He went three and one. Just not get resigned or something. That's weird. Um, his only loss during that time was uh, to Goyito, Eric Perez. Uh, weird that he wasn't signed back. Um, he's good. This is a good fight. I'm still leaning towards Basharat. But circle that one on the prelims if you have the t- if you're going to be watching the whole thing. That's one to look forward to. That's a good fight. All right, featherweight, Weston Wilson and John Silva. John, Gene. Um, have a look here. Mr. Wilson. 
Sorry, Dennis the Menace flashbacks. <laughs> Mr. Wilson, 16 and 8. Uh, 0 and 3 in the LFA, 0 and 1 in the UFC. Lost to uh, Joe Anderson Brito. I'm not going to hold that too much against him because Brito's good. Also, he lost to Teruto Ishihara in 2022. That's rough. Silva, a quick look at him. He's 11 and 2. I believe this is his UFC debut. Coming off a contender series win. He's on a pretty decent winning streak. What, 8? Um, I think we're again in one of these spots where the UFC's doing the, you know, you come off the contender series, we'll give you a winnable fight. I'm going to go with Silva. So, uh, there's that. Uh, let's see, next up at lightweight, we have Tom Nolan and Nicholas Mata. This might be Mata's winner go home bit in the UFC. Well, he's one, one and two with a no contest. Coming off the no contest with Trey Ogden. Um, early stoppage. I remember that was a uh, ref blew the call. Unfortunate because Ogden was doing well. It was understand. It was understandable the way that happened. Yeah, like the standing guillotine and um, uh, that was a whole thing. But lost to Jim Miller, beat Cameron Van Campton, lost to Manuel Torres, and then the no contest with Ogden. So he's in he's in a bit of a tough spot. Tom Nolan, his opponent, six and zero, um, fighting out of he's from Australia. Have a team affiliation? Yeah, no one I know. Um, one on the contender series. Mm, that's a tough one. What are the odds have this one? Uh, the odds are actually with Nolan. Um, Mata has just not been all that impressive in the UFC. Little weird, I'm always a little leery of guys coming into the UFC with less than 10 fights. Nolan 6-0. and I'm still going to go with Nolan, but eh, I don't agree with how wide those odds are. Nolan was in the like, minus 2 and change, which eh, you might be asking for trouble there. Then kicking everything off, we have a flyweight fight between Joshua Van and Felipe Boones. Bunes? Where are you from, sir? Brazil. Going with Bunes then. Um, Bunes. 13 and 6. Had a UFC debut. No? He's wearing a hat in his picture that I've seen before. Not on him, though. This is his UFC debut. Mixed run through ACA. Formerly ACB. Uh... Two-fight winning streak coming into this. Most notable fight would be, what, Juicy Formiga, and Formiga beat him. Um, Van, 9-1. and one. Well, 2-0 two and, two and oh in the UFC. I thought his loss was there, but no, that was back in Fury. Wins over Zalgas Zumagulov. I thought he lost that one, but he beat Kevin Borjas. I'm okay going with Van. Um, not by a whole lot, but I'm okay picking him. Um, well-matched fight for both guys, actually. Uh, all things considered there, so. Uh, also, we were supposed to have Norma Dumont and who? Uh, we lost Ketlin Vieira versus Macy Chasson. I don't care. I don't even care about this one. I want to know who it was supposed to be. Um, Norma Dumont was supposed to fight Yana Santos. Um, Santos suffered a broken nose. No word on if there's a replacement for Dumont. Okay, picking her in the dark, potentially. Yeah. So, I'm going to give myself a pass on this one, I might be a slave to the spreadsheet here and have to play it safe. <laughs> down, the, down the year. We'll see if I wind up having to start doing that. Um, we're a week out. You know what? I am okay picking Dumont in the dark. I will... I mean, if nothing happens, nothing happens. Um, but, yeah. So, that's it. First card. Uh, how many fights do we have? So, leaving Dumont off for the moment... 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 fight card. I approve. This was going to be 14. Good grief. 
That's just asking. Stop that. Stop doing that. <laughs> no one wants that many fights on a card. Um, but Saturday, MMAZone411mania.com. We will get the year rolling in, the, in MMA the right way. So tune in for that if you are so inclined. Much appreciated as always. Fast preview. I not a whole lot to talk about, so that makes sense. Uh, these podcasts, are, you know how long this is already, but these are probably going to get longer as the year goes on or depending on the schedule, so we will see. All right, let's move on. Um, very briefly, let me talk about my 2023 year-end awards. Uh, my Ian McCall Memorial, he's not dead, but I, commemorative Ian McCall mo- tradition, um, worst luck in MMA. Because McCall had a bad stretch of luck the first year I was doing this. He had like two years of bad luck, so I... Named the award after him. I gave it to Manel Cop. Some honorable mentions there. Um, Valentina Shevchenko getting screwed out of her title with one of the worst scorecards, out of retain, regaining her title with that stupid 10 8. Um, she lost that title legitimately, but by all, you can even score that rematch for Grosso. I say she got screwed out of that fight because there was no reason for that fifth round to be 10 8 for Grosso on that scorecard. Yelled about that in the review of that fight. If you want to go listen to it, by all means. But that was just bad luck for Shevchenko. Um, Michael Chandler's in there, so it, Cop gets that award. Um, worst fight of the year. I gave it to Colby Covington versus Leon Edwards from U, uh, UFC 296 or whatever. I think it was six. Six or five. Hang on, I'll know in a minute. Yeah, six. Um... There might have been some other worse fights in some respects, but man, relative to the position on the card, this was a main event title fight, relative to some of the expectations that were built up by admittedly ugly trash talk to get what we got out of that. Uh, the only re- Look, man, that was a terrible performance from Colby Covington. The only worst performance in a title fight in like recent memory Um would have been Irene Aldana's fight with uh, Amanda Nunes, where Aldana just had nothing. Nunes a little bit more active as a fighter than Edwards, and that fight was more watchable, hence that one not making my list. But there were other fights on that list. Um, most of them heavyweights, <laughs> because what do you want from me, guys? They had bad fights. Um, yeah, like Jason Almeida and Derek Lewis is on that list. I'm not going to give you the whole thing. I'm not, go read the article. It should be up by now. But there, was, there were some bad fights. Um, what would be next in my list? Hang on. So we had worst fight. Um, breakout fighter. Ultimately, pretty easy call here. Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland. You, my category for this is just who goes the furthest in the time frame. Where did you start? Where did you end up? Um, Sean Strickland going from fairly good fighter, but just like, hey, he, you know, he main events fight nights at the Apex, and he's he's good, but he kind of hangs around, and he's, you know, he's occasionally a top five guy, but he's never really going to be a you know elite elite fighter. Going from that perception of him to UFC champion in the course of this year, like, yeah, nobody else came close. Other fighters on the list, Patchy Mix, um, Tom Aspinall, Shavkat Rachmanov and Drikas Duplessis kind of round that out. But Sean Strickland, easily breakout fighter of the year for me, based on my criteria, hands down. Uh, submission of the year, we had some... Really nice submissions. Um, we had a twister. We had a bunch of ninja chokes. Respect to the ninja choke coming out and uh, disciplining some wrestlers. We had some crazy stuff, man. We had an inverted triangle choke. David Grant over Rafael Austin Sal. Uh, we had a really nice Z-lock, which is rare in MMA, but is a nasty hold. Uh, there was an inverted omoplata that took place on uh, at Octagon 43, which if you're not following... It, you kind of got to get into the weeds on this, but crazy, crazy submission. 
top spot, given the stakes uh, involved, has to go to Alexa Grasso's rear naked choke over Valentina. Not the coolest submission. That would go to probably the inverted Omoplata. But pulling that off against Shevchenko in a title fight, probably down on the cards. Um, that's your top spot. Knockout of the year. Went back and forth on this one a little bit. We had some quality violence last year. The back-to-back slams at UFC on ESPN 51. Uh, Max Holloway headshotting the Korean zombie. Josh Emmett making Bryce Mitchell realize the earth is not flat. Um, there was one from a KSW event. A guy was mounted. Okay, He's mounted, and he knocks out the guy on top of him with a left hook. Crazy. Uh, ultimately, the top spot... Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira. Um, It was good technique done in the fire against a heavy hitter. A lot of narrative weight to it, a lot of emotion. Um, Hard to top that one. But quality, quality knockouts. Uh, Again, that's not everything on the list there. I skipped over a few, so go read it. I have clips of everything that's up there. Um, Fighter of the Year. Another one you could go a few different ways. I went with Islam Makashev. You beat Alexander Volkanovsky twice, finishing him the second time, especially when no one else has quite the same year. You know, John Jones had a good win, became a 2 weight world champion, but only fought once. Pereira became a champion at light heavyweight, but you know that fight with Blahovich, he could have lo- he could have lost. And he opened the year losing to Adesanya. That kind of hurts it. I originally had Leon Edwards a lot higher before the fight with Cody Covington, which maybe unfairly dropped him a bit too far. I think like four and three, which was him and John Jones. Like you could swap those pretty easily. I don't know that I could get to Edwards over Pereira. And again, I hate doing that to Edwards because he didn't, you know, he won everything, but man, that fight sucked. That just sucked. Um, fight of the year could go a bunch of different ways. We had a lot of quality three-round fights last year. Ultimately, top spot. I debated between the first fight between Makashev and Volkanovski, which is a technical masterpiece. I wound up going with that second. It wasn't quite as competitive. I told you guys this. like Doing it live, I scored that for Volkanovski. I rewatched it trying to parse out whether I liked that or the top spot more. That fight was not quite as competitive as I thought it was live. Um, Fair enough. Still a wonderful fight. But your top spot for the flyweight title, UFC 290, Alexandre Pantoja, Brandon Moreno. What is there to say about that fight, man? Go listen to my review of it if if you're so inclined. I wax very poetic about it it's a brilliant fight it's blood and guts and technique and pace and everything um you don't get wars like that every year that was those two guys dragging themselves through the depths of hell um and best fight of the year because it wasn't just a war like it wasn't a sloppy war there was technique there was decision making there was adjustments it's a, again, it's kind of a toss-up between that one and uh, the first Vulcan Islam fight, but I I went with the flyweights this time. It's a great fight. If you have not seen that fight, both those fights, look them up. But if you're a, even if you're a more casual fan, like it's easy to understand Pantoja and Moreno. Uh, great fight. So that was my year-end review. I mentioned last podcast, you know, getting a little bit. Um, poetic about the t- year of 2023 for the UFC. And they had kind of a rough year. Some of the matchmaking was a little off. They didn't have a lot of the biggest fights. Um, they dangled Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler out there for half the year. Their relationship with USADA imploded. More and more people are seeing how the sausage is made in terms of how the UFC operates. And it's turning a lot of people off. A um, lot of that stuff. But um, I suppose in the same section, you know, let me yeah, let me save that for later. So that's that's going to wrap up the discussion of 2023. So let's get into a little bit of news here. Um, 
I have to bring this up because I occasionally talk about uh, boxing here, and if you don't like it, I understand. Um, there are timestamps and chapters for this, so if you want to skip ahead, and uh, I get it, I do. But last year in the boxing arena, um, Francis Ngannou, former UFC heavyweight champion and the lineal UFC heavyweight champion, got into the left the UFC, and there were everyone spent like six weeks claiming that Francis had fumbled the bag, that he he was always going to make more money fighting in the UFC, even under their restrictive contracts, than he was in the PFL, which is where he ultimately signed. And just a lot of talk, um, especially from people who carry water for the UFC, about what a bad decision this was. Then he boxes Tyson Fury. He loses that fight, but he does drop Fury, which is not uncommon. Fury gets dropped on occasion. Um... <laughs> And gets paid more for that fight than his entire UFC career. I have no problem believing that, by the way. I mean, you had one of his coaches, Eric Nixick, come out like this last week and go, yeah, he changed my life because I was one of his corners. So, you know, usually a corner gets a percentage. And the check that he got from that fight, from Francis Ngannou, just probably changed his life. Um... (laughs) Well, news broke that we are going to get in, was it March? I think it was March. Um, Back in Saudi Arabia. Oh, and by the way, minor aside. A lot of the UFC homers coming out and going, you know, France is only able to make money outside of MMA and only do this boxing thing and get paid millions and millions of dollars. Because of the sports washing of the Saudi government, you people said nothing about the UFC doing this in the UAE or the UFC now taking shows to Saudi Arabia. Shut up, you hypocrites. I don't have time for you. There's legitimate discussion to be had about sports washing going on in the Middle East. Million percent. One million percent. I don't like it. I don't like that you know, Saudi Arabia is throwing, you know, they threw gobs of money at the WWE, and now every year they have Crown Jewel, which is like the fourth of their big pay-per-views now. It's kind of supplanted Survivor Series. And I, no, I don't like it. I don't. Um, but I don't like it for professional wrestling. I don't like it for boxing. I don't like it for MMA. I am not out here pretending that I'm, carry, that I'm doing anything other than carrying water for the UFC, an unfair monopolistic entity, allegedly. Uh, yet to be determined by the courts, but I think based on all evidence, certainly certainly based on the marketplace, a monopolistic power. Um, by saying that, oh no, shame on Francis Ngannou. I'm not going to say shame on Francis Ngannou. Any more than I'm saying shame on the WWE, shame on the UFC. Shame on, frankly, a bunch of individuals within those organizations some of whom tried to grandstand until they were given permission to go there and saw the giant checks. Hey, look, man, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, if we're talking professional wrestling, like part of the reason, look, Sami Zayn was not allowed in Saudi Arabia for a long time because Saudi Arabia did not have diplomatic relations with um, Syria, which is where Sami Zayn was born. It was Syria, at least. Feel free to double-check me on that. I'm 90% sure Syrian, but... If I'm wrong, I apologize. Wherever wherever he was born, Saudi Arabia did not have diplomatic relations with that country. And if you don't have diplomatic relations with the country, you don't let people in who are from there. It's a whole thing. So he couldn't come, and they wouldn't let him in the country. And there were a bunch of guys who, you know, wouldn't, who, when the first, the first couple of times the UFC said, or WWE said, we're going to run shows in Saudi Arabia, but you know, if you don't want to go, you don't have to. This is like right after the Jamal Khashoggi, um, the murder and dismemberment of that guy by the, basically by the Saudi government. Uh, there's a lot of guys who didn't go until suddenly they were given the opportunity to go. And feel free to call out their hypocrisy too. I don't like it. But I'm, I can say I don't like it, any of this. But I'm not going to say shame on Francis while still celebrating the UFC. This is this is not only a talking point when it fits your boo everyone other than the UFC narrative, you homers. Shame on you. Hypocrites. No time for you. But Francis Ngannou is going to box again in Saudi Arabia. 
and he's going to box former unified heavyweight champion Anthony Joshua. Francis Ngannou is going to make another like 20-some-odd million dollars for this fight, if not more. Anthony Joshua cleans up every time he goes to Saudi Arabia. They just throw money at that guy. And I don't like that either. Again, I don't like the sports washing going on. I think if you're going to go there, you, know, you need to have your eyes open about some of, the, some of what's going on. I mean, this, the reality is the sports washing is working for Saudi Arabia, for the UAE, for all these places with human rights issues. And I, I don't like it. It's not good. But Francis Ngannou is going to get paid again. Uh, really, let's recirculate again to all those idiots. At least Daniel Cormier, who I do not care much for, came out after the Fury fight and, uh, when it was announced and, said, and issued like a public written apology to Francis Ngannou in a, like a column form. Because he was one of the guys saying Francis fumbled the bag. UFC bag's light. It might be heavier than what most people can get elsewhere, not for Francis. And he's a, he's about to get another inf, infusion of life-altering money. And I don't like his chances against Joshua. I didn't like his chances against Fury. He fought ably. I thought he lost that fight, but, dude, the MMA fans... Let me say this about not... Before, I was kind of bashing the UFC homers. To the MMA fans in general who come out going, no, he should have beat Tyson Fury. No, he shouldn't have. You don't understand boxing. Uh, He performed well. He really did. He stopped a lot of what Tyson Fury likes to do. And he, but the math at the end of the day did not add up in favor of Francis Ngannou. It added up in favor of Tyson Fury. Sorry. The number of MMA people who come out and are just so desperate for validation. Like, no, no, he beat him. Like, no, he fought well, but he didn't beat him. Sorry. Where does this need come from? And you think we get this chip off our shoulder at some point. But point being, I don't like his chances against Joshua, but I think you'd be foolish to completely write him off. Joshua's chin has been rattled in the past. I don't think he's going through anywhere near like the personal stuff he was when he fought Andy Ruiz or and uh, Ngannou certainly does not have the technical acumen to do what Alexander Usyk did. But you can get to Joshua and Ngannou hits really, really hard. Don't like his chances, would not bet on him. But do not sleep on him is all I'm saying about that. But Francis Ngannou getting another giant payday in boxing. Good for him, man. Good for him. That man is... They're going to make a movie about that man's life and they're going to have to change it because it's unrealistic. Nobody who has done what he has done should be should be doing what he's doing. No one. No one who comes from the sand mines of Cameroon three times has to try to cross illegally from... Um, Algeria? Might be wrong. Um, Morocco, maybe? One of those like North African countries into France. He tries it, gets caught handful of, like two or three times. Then the policy of the uh, the government there is they take everyone that they caught out into the desert, drop them off, and drive away. Then you get to walk back to wherever you're going. And he he eventually got into France. He was homeless. He found a boxing like he immigrated to the United States, and now he's. <sighs> making more money that man is probably going to make more money than 90 percent of his home country of cameroon will all year any two years probably longer like i forget exactly how much he made for that first for the fury fight but i imagine most people in cameroon are never going to see 20 million dollars if you put all of them together over the course of a year or so i'm i could be very wrong about that but I got a hunch I'm not. So, good on him, man. Good on him. You know, there were jokes coming out about, you know, so after he loses to Joshua, where do you think he'll be ranked by whatever sanctioning body? Like, he doesn't care about that. He's going to be ranked on the Forbes list is where he's going to be ranked for highest paid fighters. (laughs) That's where he's going. 
And, dude, nobody wants to watch me fight Anthony Joshua, but I would fight Anthony Joshua for what they're paying in Ghana. The difference is I'd have less of a chance, a lot less of a chance, and no one would care. People care about Francis for good reason. So I, good on him, man. Good on him. All right, moving on. Um, let me talk a little bit about UFC 300, and Conor McGregor kind of wraps into this. So... End of 2023, this was after my last podcast, and I don't care what Connor says as a general rule until it's independently corroborated. So him saying, hey, I'm going to announce my next fight on January 1st, 2024, I don't care. You're, you're, congratulations, you're no longer big enough news for me to break my silence and try to record on you know, an off day in the middle of the week. But... He did announce, just Connor, this is not confirmed by anyone else. He had a weird video of him like in a restaurant, and he said, I'm going to fight Michael Chandler International Fight Week at middleweight. Okay. One, Connor used to have like tact and wit about these things, and now he's just... I don't know if he's trying to ape what like all the really awkward rich people do when they do social media but if that's what he's trying to do he's doing a good job because meh um him fighting at middleweight is Uh, look man i don't care that connor got on a bunch of stuff um when he was rehabbing from his broken injury i don't even care that he got on a bunch of stuff to be camera ready for the Roadhouse movie. I don't care that Jake Gyllenhaal did it either. You're adults. Feel free to mess your bodies up like that if you want. I, again, I don't care. It's not worth getting upset about. Um, but he put on a lot of weight. Put on a lot of weight. And again, whatever he was on, man, um, he was on that the, the good like designer steroids. I shouldn't just say steroids. But I'm assuming steroids, especially given what his face did. And it might be harder to lose that. Uh, Michael Ch- and Michael Chandler walks around like 190, give or take. I mean, that's nowhere near his optimum competitive weight. That's why he fights at 155. Um, but I just don't care about that fight. I don't care about Connor. But that's what he came out and said. Now, again, no one has confirmed this, so it could be him spitting into the wind. But this relates to something interesting that's been kind of... Because everybody had to have a talking point for the last, the first week of 2024. The talking point turned into, boy, what in the world do they have for UFC 300? Because there's not a lot. Look at who's available. Look at who's not available. Connor's not available. According to him, John Jones is still out. Um, you're not going to have Islam Makashev. That's way too close to Ramadan for Makashev. And Makashev has enough pull to potentially decline that uh, of that date. Not a fight, but that date. If the UFC called him up and said, fight Charles Oliveira, UFC 300, and he looked at the calendar, looked at when Ramadan ran, and went, no. Pick a different date. We're going to be back in the UAE soon. I'll fight there. Happy to fight Charles Oliveira there. UFC would just go along with that. Bilal Muhammad um, is a potential there. You could get, because Ramadan, it would run over the training camp. And for those of you who don't know, Ramadan is, um, it's a, is it a week? It's an Islamic thing where you fast every day for this set amount of time. And I forget, it, it might be, it's more than a week. It might be a month. Now, their definition of fasting is just you don't eat or... I don't think you eat or drink. You might be okay with water. Again, forgive me, I'd have to double-check, but I think it's you don't eat or drink from sunup to sundown, which gives you play. Like, you're not literally starving yourself. That'd be ridiculous. But you, like, you can't do a training camp under those... I mean, you can, but boy, is that not advisable... Bilal Muhammad, if offered a title fight at UFC 300, might not be in a position. If he turns that down, they're never going to let him forget it. Because Makashev has a big fan base, has people that like him, especially in the Middle East, or Western Asia, if you prefer. 
and is the champion. Thing is, I don't know that you could go to the next because the next challenger after Bilal Muhammad would be Shavkat Rahmanov, who I believe is also a practicing Muslim. So that might still like disqualify him. And he, uh, Rachmanov might be out of the discussion anyway with that ankle injury that needs surgery. So he's out of the picture. I don't know how much further down they'd go. But the point being there, if the UFC says below Muhammad, it's UFC 300 or nothing, he's going to probably have to take it and just suffer and then lose. <laughs> I, just, I don't like his chances against Leon Edwards. That's a bad fight for him. It just is. But Ramadan's screwing some things up, but uh, Covington and Muhammad is possible. But you don't have a lot of big fights. Um, you've got um, Volkanovski. Uh, Volkanovski and Tapori is a bit too too close to it. Maybe you could do something with the turnaround for either Sean Strickland or Drickus Duplessis. They're fighting um, UFC 297 first pay-per-view. That's not the 18th, it's the next um, next week. We'll be previewing that fight next week, but like you don't actually have a lot of stuff here to potentially put on UFC 300. If you look at the names, look at the schedule, like there's not a lot there. Unless everyone's sitting on, you know, Ronda making another appearance or Brock Lesnar or something like that. There's... There is nothing historic at the moment based on pretty much everyone's available calculus to put on UFC 300. The UFC 300, I'm sure, will be a fine card. A um, lot of people saying, hey, how about we get you know Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway on that fight? Give them five rounds and let those two try to kill each other. I mean, love that fight, for the record. <laughs> Never going to hear me complain about matching up those two maniacs. Um, not sure I like Max Holloway's chances there, but he surprised me before. Um, it's just, <laughs> there's not a lot of those big fights, especially if what Connor's saying is true about him being on International Fight Week. Now, I don't know that he's telling the truth. Connor is unreliable. But, at UFC 300, just, there's nothing on the, nothing of the available talent that jumps off the page as boom. This is like, here we have, you know, two title fights, a great third fight, and none of that really exists based on everything we know. Now, the UFC might have, again, they might have some rabbits to pull out of their hat, but based on all available information, I'm not seeing any, again, like when I say historic, I mean, you know, the big, flashy, um, you know, 300 big mark, like that, that's not really there. Based on, again, everything we know. There are more than enough pieces to put together a really good pay-per-view. Let me be very clear about that. This is only being kind of discussed in the context of, well, this is 300. This is special. Can you put something that is really oomph on it? And you can put something together that's really, really, really good. I don't know that you can put together something that is like, grab every casual fan in the world sexy. I could be very wrong. That's my read on things at the moment. More announcements to come, I'm sure, and I look forward to it. I Like I said, they're going to put together a good card. Minimum good card. If they don't, I'm happy to say so, My, but there is enough stuff in place. They could put together a very good card, and I'm more than happy to call it such, but... To anyone looking for something historic, I don't think they have anything to put together something historic on paper. We could get a balls-out night of fights, and I will be the first one to stand up here and say that was exceptional. I'm just talking on paper, and I'm just talking expectation. So, there's my take on that. Um, I, I don't really want to go into the UFC's new drug policy. Um, a lot of it's all online. Um, Guys like John Nash and Eric McCracken, um, follow them on Twitter, read some of what they, they've gone through this in more detail. All I'd be giving you is like the weakest of polemics on it, and that's, uh, I don't know how useful that is. So that's all I've got written down. Uh, pretty quiet holiday season, all things considered. Um, let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here.
Um, nope. Sorry for the delay there. Uh, working on some stuff here. Again, new headset. Just a handful of things still getting worked out. Uh, no, nothing new. So, plugs. Plugs. What do we got going into 2024? Um, last week, myself, Mark Radulich, Alexis Haina, and Zachary Strobel got together to review Illuminations Migration, which is a perfectly serviceable, if unremarkable, animated film. This week, um, bit of a twofer. Myself, Mark Radulich, and Alexis Haina over on Damn You Hollywood, we will um, review Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon Part 1. Uh, which is on Netflix. Boy, will we have thoughts. Um, we will talk about that movie, and we'll do the critical review. But there's no money really to talk about because Netflix and no major theatrical releases. Uh, so we might be leaving that aside. Uh, we'll be leaving that part aside. And instead, we'll do our 2023 year in review um, as, as the back half of that one. So come get the, our top 10 movies of the year, some of the stuff we liked, some of the stuff we hated, all that good stuff. Tune in. Good time will be had by all. Also, I think MLW will be back to because they burned through all their content. And, uh, they had an event yesterday. Um, so they should have some stuff for Fusion for a little bit. So I will be reviewing MLW on Thursday, assuming they're back to broadcasting. And WWE SmackDown on Friday. SmackDown had a pretty good start of the year to 2024 on Friday. Apart from one uh, booking decision that is just so stupid it knocked the whole thing down for me a little bit. Other than that, um, even that, like even with that stupid decision, solid, good episode. Hopefully that maintains. I'll be covering that on Friday, and then, of course, the UFC event on Saturday. So, and we'll be back here on uh, next week to review UFC on ESPN Plus 92 and to preview UFC 296. Middleweight title fight. Um, was there any other fight on that card? Because that's Strickland and DDP in your main event. All right, Raquel Pennington and Myra Buena Silva. Dude, even Buena Silva come, came out this week and said, look, I'm excited, but I get that no one cares. <laughs> Um, what else do we have on that card? Hmm. There is some stuff. Okay. Uh, Chris Curtis and Marc-Andre Barrio. I mean, we're in, uh, we're in Toronto. So the Canadian contingent is out. Neil Magny. Neil Magny might be fighting for a spot as a gatekeeper, even. Uh, we were supposed to get Dominic Reyes and Carlos Ulberg. That fell out. Um, Ulberg got injured and Reyes probably got lucky. Um, Charles Jordan and Sean Woodson could be good. Yeah, there's a few fight. It's kind of, look, due respect to the vacant women's bantamweight title that's been vacant for almost a year because no one cares. Um, your selling point here is Sean Strickland and Tricus Duplessis. That's kind of it. We, this was, this was better at one point. Um, if you'll remember, originally this was supposed to also have Volkanovski and Taporia. That was before Volkanovski um, stepped in on, like, stupid short notice to fight Makashev at 294. Uh, Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakic were supposed to fight. Because uh, they had a previous fight, and then Rakic blew his knee out in the middle of it. Right around the same time that Tom Aspinall blew out his knee. So, one of those strings. There were, like, two events in three weeks where somebody had a gnarly knee injury. Something like that. Um, Blahovich had a shoulder injury, so that's off. Uh I think the original iteration of this pay-per-view was really solid. And what we got ultimately is... Wait, most of our and Arnold Allen. That's a good fight. Okay, what we got is perfectly acceptable. Um, it's not the... It's not the best pay-per-view in the world. And if something happens to Strickland and DDP, they're going to be in real trouble. Um, but full review, full preview next week, so... Nice to be back in the swing of things. Uh, 2024, guys. I want everyone to stay safe out there. I say that every week, but let me explain why I really mean that. 
Hopefully the following that I'm about to say does not lean does not come across as overly conspiratorial or antisocial or anything weird like that. 2024 is a global election year. And I know that is not me being overly centric to the United States saying our presidential election is a global election. No, it's not. It's one country. We decide who our president is. I say it's a global election because something like 80% of the democracies or democratic-based governments around the world, governments that rely on the democratic process, the United States is not a democracy. We're a representative republic. It still relies on the democratic process. That's what voting is, at least in general parlance. But for all the... So when I say the the democracy-based governments, I mean that are based on voting. Individual systems will vary. But something like 80% of them around the world have major elections this year. It all kind of synced up that way. And it should not be a hot take or a conspiratorial notion to bring up that historically, election years, people in power trying to maintain power, and that is not just in the government. That's not just me pointing at the president, either party. That's me pointing at the entrenched authority really goes out of their way to maintain it, and that frequently winds up stepping on and hurting a lot of the people who are not in that sphere. I hope I'm wrong in that respect. I hope we have a relative as smooth a year as we possibly can. But I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't bad actors out there who look to capitalize on things, and in some cases will manufacture them. And hopefully that's vague enough to not get me on any watch lists, because everything I just said there is easily verifiable and could apply to almost anything. Because you can easily see how conspiracies can kind of spin up about anything, because eh, it's not that hard. Shouldn't be conspiratorial to say that, again, those in power whether they're already elected or trying to get reelected or are just entrenched in the system, try to maintain it, and that can get ugly in a hurry. Um, I sincerely hope that we ha- that it's smooth wherever you are in the world. And just stay safe. And I'm here to talk MMA pretty much every week, all year. So if I can give you a little bit of a respite from that, a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of education, maybe just a comforting voice. Whatever I can do. Thank you all. Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever's applicable to your podcast platform of choice. <laughs> Got it in. I surprised you with that one, I hope. And as always, stay safe out there. Uh, all things being equal and all things playing out as they should, I'll be here all year. I appreciate you guys more than you know. So, thank you. Stay safe and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.